Hello, my name is Ryan Wynn, and this is How It's Reported, a new podcast from the Emerald Podcast Network about how reporters do the work we do. And today I have... Donnie Morrison, news reporter for the Daily Emerald since spring term of 2018. All right, how you been? Good, good. I've been, I've been good. It's been very busy. So, Donnie, this week you wrote a cover story about... Well, you wrote it about the Kalapuya tribe. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay. So when I first got to the University of Oregon in spring term of 2018, I had started I started work at the Emerald and I was covering some protests and rallies and I noticed at every single rally any speaker would begin by saying that we're on reclaimed Kalapuya land and I didn't really know what that means. I contextually knew that they were probably referring to a tribe and that the university had been built on land that used to be occupied by that tribe. But I started asking some students and I noticed that nobody really knew much about the Kalapuya. I didn't know about them myself. So that was kind of the spark that got me thinking about doing the story and kind of um, shedding some light on the tribe that used to occupy our land. Yeah. So tell us more about what's in the cover story that you wrote this week, which you can find in the description below. So it's interesting because the cover story ended up being a lot different than I'd imagined it. At first, <laughs> I, I just was like, I'm going to do a short history of the Kalapuya. And I realized very quickly that that wasn't really going to be possible. Um, How come? Well, my first source that I called, his name is David Lewis. Um, he's been researching the Kalapuya for basically two decades Um, he's taught here at the UO for 16 years. He got his doctorate here and I called him kind of like a, a bright eyed, bushy tailed news (laughs) reporter, just very excited. I was like, Hey David, I've never heard a news reporter described as that. (laughs) I feel like the best reporters are are pretty excited to start a story. I know, I know I get excited. Yeah. Go on. Go on. And I was like, Hey David, I'm really excited to be talking to you. I'm doing a story about the, the history of the Kalapuya. And I was wondering if I could talk to you. And there was kind of like, there was this long pause in the phone call. And then he was like, very solemnly, he was like, I've been studying the history of the Kalapuya for 25 years. I don't know how you're going to do a story about it in like two weeks. And it kind of like stopped me dead in my tracks. And mm-hmm. I was just like silent on the phone. And then I realized I was, this is maybe a bigger undertaking than I imagined it being and I didn't I didn't know if I was coming off as like disrespectful to his work or mm-hmm. something but he seemed very you know kind of peeved of the way that I was approaching it and so I definitely acknowledged the work that he'd done and said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna call you back I'm gonna think of some questions and think of like a better angle maybe broaden my scope and I'll, I'll email you some questions or give you a call back and then that's what I did I ended up talking to two other people, and then the crux of the story kind of started coming together. Yeah, and tell me more about what that crux were. As it sounds like you began pretty broad when you began the story. So the crux is, I ended up talking to David Harrelson, who's the historical preservation officer for the Grand Ron tribe, and a woman named Esther Stutzman, who is, she has a nonprofit that takes her around to different communities and schools around Oregon and she tells like oral histories like classic performative stories of like Kalapuya culture 
And so I talked to all three of these people. David Lewis was an academic who was traveling around the country trying to bring Kalapuya information into one single place. And then the Grand Ron tribal historical officer, David Harrelson, he's a younger person. He's part of the tribal government, and he is in charge of the Historical Preservation Museum. And so they're doing their own things in regards to historical preservation. And then Esther is telling the stories with a nonprofit. So we had the tribal government, the nonprofit, and the academic. And they're all, like, doing separate things for this one common goal of preserving the Kalapuya culture. And so that's when the story kind of started, like, making sense in my head. I was like, oh, this is about cultural preservation, and this is about remembering the Kalapuya, which is the land that University of Oregon sits on. Like you said, like, sometimes, I hate using this phrase, but the media can get, like, these stories wrong, and that doesn't mean that, like, we don't want to get them right. So, like, tell me more about, like, how it was initially, like, contacting these people. Yeah, it was, that was probably the most difficult aspect of doing the story, was talking talking to these people whose ancestors and their whole lives kind of, like, have been defined by the Kalapuya. It's like who they are. And to have me come in with just two weeks to kind of like learn everything about them, it didn't feel right at times. And that's when I kind of had to scale back and not, I'm not going to tell the whole story of the Kalapuya because they're spending their lives doing that. What I'm doing is just taking a little part of the story and giving it to the students and our readers and letting them know that There are people out there fighting for the Kalapuya to have their culture not erased. Yeah, that's the reality with deadlines. That's rough. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) And I wouldn't even be in the position to tell if I didn't have a deadline. Like, I don't think I'd be in the position to tell the story of the Kalapuya the way I had originally imagined it because it's so grand and so vast. So how did you make sure that you were ethical while doing this story? Like you said, you didn't want to put yourself in the position of telling their story for them, if that makes sense. So could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And um, it always, it it takes like a certain amount of empathy and tact when you're telling a story like this. And for me, I just try to remember that they're people just like me. They want the Kalapuya story out there. I try to come in as like a total clean slate. It's really important for me when I'm doing any story that are kind of like has this like human element to come in with a clean slate, no previous ideas or assumptions and kind of like if if I did know anything about the Kalapuya I definitely walked into these conversations as if I was learning about it for the first time and I was appreciating their time uh, in telling me about it yeah yeah I was also wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like what was the most surprising thing that like you learned or that happened I imagine that there's like a lot to learn when you're reporting a story like this especially from the perspective of like, especially when you're hearing from the perspective of people whose stories haven't traditionally been told by like news media. The most fascinating thing for me was it revolved around talking to Esther about the oral histories and the performative stories that she tells. And she told me that out of the dozens of stories that she has, there's only 13 that she tells to the actual public. 
the rest are kind of regarded as private property among Kalapuya and tribal members. They're not to be shared with anybody else. And so she is holding these close. They're not for anyone else. They, they don't record them. They don't write them down um, for fear of being misrepresented or like they've had copyright issues for the stories that she does share. And then so that juxtaposed with David Harrelson, who talked to me about just the past 20 years even, the way we tell and hear stories is ever-changing. Like we have, we have video, we have podcasts, we have the internet. And so he touched on how important it is for indigenous people to be able to adapt to technology as opposed to technology playing a part in making their culture disappear. But when you have someone like Esther who doesn't want to record the stories and they're like very personal and they're just for tribal members, how do you convey those stories and that information to a new generation of indigenous people who are consuming stories through mediums such as like a podcast or over the internet? And so that's what's fascinating to me. Yeah, that's really cool. I remember reading about that in the story and full disclosure, I did copy edit your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah I changed some AP style things. <laughs> editors are sexy. I've always said it without editors, writers would be nothing. So this story seems like there's a lot of moving parts to it and a lot of things that you want to be careful about and make sure that you don't misrepresent. How do you go about like fact checking the story and making sure that everything was as best as it could be, especially with only like two weeks to do it. Right. As far as the section where I was going into the history of the Kalapuya, I basically relied on the research of David Lewis. And I felt like that was okay because... He's been doing this for like 20, 25 years. He's been doing years. it for 20 years. Um, I was sourcing him. He has he wrote the book about Kalapuya tribal history. So I kind of went... The literal f- book. The literal book. <laughs> or books. I don't, I'm actually not sure. <laughs> He's written multiple books, but I think there's only one book about specifically the Kalapuya tribal history. All right. There we um, go. Yeah. And so I've, I've kind of like am trusting that. Um, There were times when I went to a couple different sources online, specifically in regards to the malaria epidemic, just getting proper dates on that and um, the dates for certain treaties that were signed. Kalapuya signing over land to the United States throughout the 1850s to like 1887. They lost a lot of their land. So in retrospect, after finishing your reporting and seeing it get published... How do you feel now? Um, I feel really, really good. It was a very stressful final week getting it all written and getting it all um, in the correct structure. And I feel really great about it. And I've gotten some good feedback from people of the indigenous community. And those are the people that I wanted to kind of do right by with the story and, and to have their kind of approval that I, I covered it correctly, or at least in the ballpark, uh, makes me feel really good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap things up? Um, yeah, I would like to shout out. Ooh, a shout out. Okay. I'm giving a shout out. Do we need a drum roll? We might need a drum roll if you got it. (laughs) All right. Okay. Just, I don't want to do it too loudly. (laughs) I am shouting out Ben Irish, who did the illustration that is that became the the cover illustration of the story. Um, He did an excellent job of drawing up 
the faces of the three people that I talked to. I think that shout out is a lovely way to wrap up this week's episode of How It's Reported. I'm Ryan Wynn. I'm the podcast editor. Donnie Morrison, news reporter. And we'll be seeing you, I guess hearing you, or no, we can't hear anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, catch us next week.